0: It's not answering. somebody's stabbed in business class, and um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. We have some claims. Just stay quiet and you'll be okay. We're turning to the airport. Everything will be okay. If you try to make any move, you'll injure yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet. The plane this is elementary. What? A 737? what? the World Who are you talking to?
1: Oh, God. Oh, my God. United 175, New York. We have some problems over here right now. We might have a hijack over here, two of them.
0: Jules is a scientist on an airplane that's been an hijacked. If things don't go well and it's not looking good, I just want you to know I absolutely love you. I want you to do good. So happy this uh, time. Same to my parents and everybody. I just totally love you and uh, I'll see you later. Bye, babe. What are those people going to do? All, all the elevators are blocked out. the is going? This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. I want to start this episode off by commemorating the 20th anniversary of September 11th. It's almost unfathomable that 20 years have passed since that terrible day. But I remember literally everything that happened as if it were yesterday.
1: It's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Brian Dumble. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. The is that...
0: exploding right now. You got people running up the street.
1: Okay. I don't know
0: what's going on. Okay. Okay. I was at my accountant's office on the Lower East Side when the first plane hit the towers and then the second plane hit. The city was a riot of sirens. The streets became empty. Then the phone system collapsed. The subway stopped and it was like the world was ending.
1: Oh my God. And there were 30 people
0: in the northeast corner. Gotta get everybody out. For New Yorkers, this was an unfathomable moment. These buildings that define the skyline were suddenly gone, and the city that never sleeps was very quickly brought to its knees. Unable to reach my wife and my children, and unsure what would happen next. Remember, we didn't know if we were under attack, and if more planes were coming. Yeah, I got an aircraft to south east of the White House. Uh, Hello? Crystal City, just north of Crystal City. Stop. Just to the north of your town. Do you, do you, do you? Yeah, stop all the parkers just I can't protect my NCA. I instinctively started walking uptown to get to my daughter's school, who was in kindergarten at the time. There were no cars on the street, just people as far as the eye could see, all walking together. Some were covered head to toe in gray soot from the building's collapse. Some were bleeding after being hit from debris. In the moment, I stopped and marveled, feeling completely outside myself like I was in a disaster movie, and we were all extras, the walking wounded. People were crying, frightened, angry. I took as much water as I could after leaving my accountant's office, and I handed the bottles out to those who needed them most. And for 50-some-odd blocks, I walked with a sense of panic, but also determination, I remember how beautiful it was outside. A perfect blue sky, 82 degrees, which belied the horror behind me that I was fleeing. Soon it was just hot. I was in my suit wearing wingtips and I remember gasping for air as the smoke drifted from ground zero northward. I took my tie off and opened my shirt, but nothing helped. The smoke and debris we were inhaling was an awful reminder of what was behind us that we were escaping. It was also poisonous that we would learn later. But none of that mattered to those walking. We were like zombies, ghosts covered in ash. hundreds ...and trapping hundreds more above the 91st floor. We looked up and there was a plane. Next thing you know, we heard boom. We ran up to the corner and hit right into the World Trade Center. It was a big ball of fire that just went up. By the time I got to 77th Street in front of my daughter's school, I was coated in ash. The relief I felt when I got to my daughter was incredible and something I will never forget. For that single moment, everything would be okay. My wife and then infant son were at home already, thank God. I carried my daughter, then six, today incredibly 26, in my arms all the way to our apartment. Once there, I collapsed into the arms of my wife. The whole thing was just unreal. It wasn't until I looked at the television that I understood the magnitude of what had just happened and what I had been through. But only now, hours later, under the harsh lights of rescue vehicles is the true horrifying breadth of the terror becoming clear. Before it is over, the casualty figures will be numbing and few in the city will be untouched by what happened today. So often in the past, we've been able to say it could have been worse. Tonight, this time, it's hard to imagine how. We saw a shadow, it looked like a plane, next thing we know it was boom, 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 and the floor started shaking. And then we saw debris fall down, and next thing we know we had to get out of the building. We stuck on the stairs for a while, we finally got down to the lobby. Then we get to the lobby, it was this big explosion.
1: I thought we'd be able to unrun it, but we couldn't. It was pitch black.
0: And the waiting tonight continues. A couple of numbers to pass along to you. If you think you have a family member who is transported to St. Vincent's Hospital, the number to call,
1: 212-604-7285, 604-7285. You can also go to
0: the Family Center, which has been set up at the New School at 66 West 12th Street. Two other numbers to pass along. If you're a doctor and you would like to volunteer, they're fully staffed right now at St. Vincent's, but you can call for tomorrow. They may need doctors. 212 604 3850, 604-3850. On the street, I was fueled by determination and the need to find my daughter, my wife, and my son. The body's own survival mechanism is strong and gets you through just about anything. But once home, I was destroyed both physically and emotionally. The images I was seeing on television were unbelievable. The building's exploding right now. You got people running up the street. Okay. I don't know what i what's going on. Those planes flying like missiles into the towers. Then, how quickly they felt like children's toys. The cloud of soot and ash and the hordes of people bewildered and afraid. People are jumping out the windows. Over there, they're jumping out the windows, I guess, because they're trying to save themselves. I don't know. Soon, though, fear turned to anger. I had friends in those towers who were now dead. People I knew and people I loved dearly had been taken from me. In the intervening days and weeks after the attack, certain things stayed with me that no longer compute. How comforting a sight it was to see Rudy Giuliani on the streets of New York, guiding us through the national trauma as America's mayor.
1: I know that. Um, I know
0: that there's great concern over what the num- numbers of people lost are. We don't know the answer to that. Uh, the dimension will be very large. It'll. It. it um, In terms of the people we're looking for, it's a couple of hundred um, firefighters
1: um, and police officers, which is a staggering number. As far as the number of people in the building, that'll be in the thousands.
0: But there's no way of knowing at this point. And we're going to keep praying and hoping that we save as many people as possible. That person is long gone and replaced by the imposter, Rudy. But back then, he made me feel safe. I'll never forget that first Saturday Night Live after the attack, when he stood on stage with the firefighters and the police officers as Paul Simon, a New Yorker through and through, whose songs Speak of New York Lives sang, the boxer. Since September 11th, many people have called New York a city of heroes. Well, these are the heroes. We will not let our decisions be made out of fear. We choose to live our lives in freedom. I am just a poor boy Do my stories seldom told It was such an incredible moment The most New York of shows Helping the nation feel better Telling people it was okay to laugh again I remember just sobbing as I watched Feeling the weight of what happened roll off As Simon sang 20 years later Those lyrics have taken on such a different meaning for me While they will forever be linked with September 11th, they've taken on a different meaning for me, as well as my own life took a turn I could not have fathomed all those years before. The song is about survival, getting knocked down, and the boxer's ability to get back up. Now the years are rolling by me, they are rocking evenly, and I am older than I once was and younger than I'll be, but that's not unusual, no... It isn't strange. After changes upon changes, we are more or less the same. After changes, we are more or less the same. I am just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. I have squandered my resistance. For a pocket full of mumbles, such are promises. All lies in and now for the main event. My next guest on Mayor Culpa returns to the show with great urgency to explain the way in which the GOP has hijacked our democratic system. Ari Berman is quite possibly the foremost expert working today on our electoral system and issues like redistricting and gerrymandering that allow Republicans to maintain their majorities despite profound demographic changes. It's these maneuvers and others that threaten the Democrats' hold on the House in the midterms and what is fueling this awful wave of authoritarian legislation nationwide. A senior reporter for Mother Jones, Berman has broken some of the most important and frightening stories related to voter suppression. He is the author of the best-selling book, Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America, and a recipient of the prestigious Sidney Hillman Foundation Award in Journalism for his reporting on the dark money behind the GOP's voter suppression efforts. So let's listen now to that conversation. So Ari, in a recent Washington Post editorial, Dana Milbank wrote, and I quote, Texas showed us what a post-democracy America would look like. Where women cannot get abortions, where almost everybody can openly carry a gun in public without a license or training, where black and Latino citizens are disproportionately denied the right to vote. Is this the blueprint for the GOP moving forward on both the state and national level? And where else is this happening outside of Texas?
1: I think that's absolutely right, Michael. I think Texas is the embodiment of what the GOP wants to do. They basically want to create a place where anyone can carry a gun without any kind of training or license or permit, where it's virtually impossible uh, for women to have control over their own bodies, where it's very, very difficult for black and Latino voters who are now the majority in the state to be able to vote where hospitals are full because of COVID, where schools are closing because they're not requiring masks. I mean, you're seeing this all across the country, but it's happening in such a concentrated way in Texas. And it was one thing after another in terms of their legislative session. The fact that they had not only a regular special session, but then they had two special legislative sessions uh, to basically say that we are going to ban abortion. We're going to ban critical race theory, even though no one even understands what that is, we're going to institute one of the country's worst voter suppression laws, and we're all going to do it uh, because we want to turn our state essentially uh, into a mini Trump land.
0: You know, I had a conversation here on Mea Culpa about critical race theory. And to be honest with you, there's not a lot that needs to be understood about critical race theory, other than when school is teaching – about the United States. There is a part of this this growth to where we are today that involves individuals, groups, minorities, particularly blacks who aren't represented at all. Yes, we know about the Civil War, but do they ever really go into really the Frederick Douglass's? Do they go into the Harriet Tubman's? The answer is no. And that's just the more obvious of critical race theory. You know, it should be told accurately. History should not be so specific as to be white-centric. It should really cover all groups of people. And that's really all that people are asking for under critical race theory. But one of the problems that we see with Texas is that Texas is not the only state that's pulling this sort of bullshit, to be honest with you. you know, We know for a fact that there's Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina. I mean, there are other states, we'll call them copycat states, that are trying to create this Gilead country out of their state where, yes, you could deprive a woman of her right to choose, where you can turn around and state that anybody's permitted to carry a firearm without licensing or training, you know, that you can turn around and that you can actually impede on individuals' rights to vote by gerrymandering uh, and right to keep the, the power to where the power is desired by those who currently have it. This is a real problem. Explain this to my listeners, if you would.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you just looked at a map, you would see the same states basically doing all of these things. The same states that are passing the worst voter suppression laws are also passing the most restrictive anti-abortion laws. They're also uh, banning critical race theory and basically banning uh, the teaching of history accurately in schools. They're also the ones that are uh, preventing the, the government from requiring masks to keep people safe, those kind of things. They also have the lowest vaccination rates in the country. And, and if you look at it, I mean, it's basically almost all of the South. And then it's pockets of the West and pockets of the North where Republicans are still in control. Uh, And so that's why you're seeing the same kind of things play out. And basically the same thing happened uh, when President Obama was elected, that Republicans realized if we don't control Washington, we can control the states and we can set the agenda. And that will then influence everything that happens on a national level. And so, I mean, even before Trump you saw this incredible radicalization of the GOP. It became so much more radicalized under Trump. And now, basically, the next place where Trumpism is thriving is not in Washington, because they don't control Washington. It's in the states. You have the Greg Abbotts, the Ron DeSantis's. These are the people that are auditioning to be the next Trump. And they think that the way to be the next Trump is to go as far right as possible when it comes to all of these policy positions.
0: Hi folks, Michael Cohen here. We've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics, so if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, check out last Thursday's episode with retired FBI special agent Jack Schaefer, who rejoins Jordan to discuss his book, The Like Switch, an ex-FBI agent's guide to influencing, attracting, and winning people over. This is fascinating stuff you don't want to miss. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Like the July 6th interview with master pickpocket Barb Arno on how he spots a mark. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode on how to deal with corrupt and crooked bosses, addiction, brain chemistry, and so much more. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity, or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show, and we think you will as well. So search The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, it's funny, when you speak to people, the easiest response that people give was, well, if you don't like what they're doing... Vote them out of office. But here, folks, this is what people don't understand. And Ari, this is where your expertise is going to come in very help, um, very, very handy. You can't just vote them out. Why? Because there's something called gerrymandering. And with gerrymandering, what people have to understand is every 10 years, what they do is they redraw the maps. Now, what's funny is that the system is supposed to sort of have a sense of responsibility and honor to our democracy so that you don't go into the map and create the map so that even if you are the minority in that state, that you still will win the important districts because of the way that you play with the lines. The GOP have perfected this greater than the Democratic Party. And they actually even gave a name for this method Of keeping power in both the state and the local levels, and it's called Project Roadmap. Have you ever heard of this? I have Project Roadmap. Yeah. So with Project Roadmap, it has been described by many as the most audacious political heist of modern times. Why? Simply because you can't vote them out. They stack the. They stack the. The. The districts, by the way that they draw the lines, so that even if you are the minority in that state, even if you're the minority in this specific area that is, you know, highly concentrated with minorities, they don't get the same voting power as the other districts, which, uh, again, would be a minority But based upon the way that they draw the maps, they will always retain power. Can you go into it better than I for my listeners, please?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's been the story in places like Texas and places like Wisconsin and places like Georgia. Uh, In some states, Republicans have actually gotten fewer votes than Democrats. But they control a lot more seats in the state legislature. So it's kind of like the Electoral College, but with regards to the state legislature, uh, where, you know, Donald Trump will lose the popular vote by three million votes, but he can be elected president. That same kind of thing happens uh, on a different kind of scale with redistricting. In Wisconsin, for example, in 2018, you had Democrats getting 54 percent of the vote statewide for the state legislature, but Republicans getting 60% of the seats. Well, that's pretty crazy that one party would get a clear majority of votes, but the other party would have a clear majority of seats. And so really what it does is it undermines the popular will of the voters. In places like Texas, what's going to happen is that all of the growth down there is going to come from people of color. If you look at where the state is growing, growing from Latinos, African-Americans, Asian-Americans. It's growing in the cities. It's growing in places that are becoming bluer, places like Houston and Dallas and San Antonio. But what's going to happen is Republicans are going to draw the districts in such a way that the state is much, much wider, more rural and more conservative than the state as a whole, and in particular, a lot different than population growth. So what what is it going to mean in practice? Well, first off, what it's going to mean in practice is that these state legislatures also draw districts for the U.S. House of Representatives. So Republicans could take back the House in 2022 just from gerrymandering alone. What it also means is that these state legislatures feel like they can enact these crazy right wing policies that are very unpopular. If you poll people in Texas They don't support the abortion law. They don't support being able to carry a gun without a permit or training. But the only thing that matters to Republicans is, is it popular in the districts that we've drawn? And it's popular in those districts because they're choosing their own electorate as opposed to the electorate choosing them.
0: Right. And on top of that, let's not forget our favorite friend, Technology right? So advancements in technology have done what? They've given these individuals, these Republicans who are all into this project roadmap, the ability to micro pinpoint streets by moving one street over to the left or to the right, or two blocks to the left or to the right. They actually changed the entire, they changed the entire format. And, um, you know, Just by tweaking these lines ever so slightly, they're able to ensure that they will never lose power. And then these folks that are then becoming the representatives for these areas, despite the fact that their ideology, that their methodology and so on are all in the minority, what ends up happening, right? They start passing these incredibly restrictive voting rights. And they're the ones that are actually, you know, Copycatting some of the crazier, you know, um, laws that are coming out of states like Texas.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right. I mean, the technology has gotten so sophisticated that they can basically say, uh, even in areas where they're outnumbered, I'm going to draw the districts in such a way. So that we are going to be the majority no matter what happens, no matter how much swing there is in public opinion, no matter how much the state is trending, we're going to remain in in control. And then it's this anti-democratic feedback loop where basically they propose and pass unpopular policies. Then they undermine democracy to stay secure in their own power. And then they pass more unpopular policies. Then they pass even more attacks on democracy to try to further entrench their power. So it's very, very difficult for people to be able uh, to vote them out of office. Uh, and this is happening across the country, but I think it's particularly noteworthy in places like Texas where people say, oh, the demographics are changing. It's only a matter of time before the state change, changes politically as well. And that is true, but it's going to happen a lot slower than people think. And it's going to be very, very difficult to achieve anytime soon as long as the people in power are the ones that are drawing their own districts.
0: And despite the fact that Democrats have seen this thing coming now for quite some time, you may recall that the Supreme Court heard the case of Shelby County versus Holder, whereby this entire issue about gerrymandering in order to infringe on someone's rights, it was determined that it's it, they, they cannot actually... Um, opine upon this other than to say that the states have their rights within which to draw these lines and this is now the this is now the law of the land they they have the right to do it based upon this case and worse than that they are doing it that's the whole thing just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean that you should but they are and that's how they're now taking you know state and local seats away from the actual democratic process from the voters, because no matter how many voters show up on the opposite side, they can't win that seat anyway.
1: Yeah, there were two Supreme Court decisions that were really bad for voting rights in this respect. There was Shelby County versus Holder, which gutted the Voting Rights Act in 2013 and said that states with a long history of discrimination like Texas don't have to approve their voting maps and their redistricting maps with the federal government. Back in 2011, Texas passed redistricting maps that the Department of Justice and the federal courts found intentionally discriminated against Black and Latino voters, and they were blocked. Then a few years ago in 2018, there was another Supreme Court case called the Rucho case, which the Supreme Court said you can't even review partisan gerrymandering in federal court, which is really insane. Basically, if a state legislator says, yeah, I drew these districts because I didn't want any Democrats to win an election. The Supreme Court said you can't actually challenge that in federal court. Not only can we not even strike it down, you can't even hear the case, period, meaning that it has to go to state court. Well, in places like Texas, the state courts are extremely right-wing, even more right-wing than the current Supreme Court. So they're never going to strike those maps down in state court in places like Texas, in places like Florida right now. And, and so it's created a situation where Republicans can basically do whatever they want. And I think that's why Republicans have been so emboldened with the voter suppression, with the gerrymandering, with the abortion restrictions, because they basically view the courts as their get-out-of-jail-free card. I mean they're, they're essentially saying that we're not afraid of the courts striking down what we, what we do. And when it comes to gerrymandering, we know the courts aren't going to even gonna review it unless we do some sort
0: of extreme – They're not permitted to, They're, they're not, not even permitted, permitted to. to review it. They
1: can still review yeah. racial gerrymandering. So if, for example, you're able to show that a district was drawn clearly to disenfranchise black or Latino or Asian-American voters, that can be reviewed. But what Republicans are going to say is, we're not disenfranchising minorities, we're just disenfranchising Democrats, because most minority voters vote for Democrats. And so that's another way they're going to try to get around this, to basically say, all of their racial gerrymandering we're doing, that's just politics. Just like they're going to say, when voting laws have a disparate impact on Black or Latino or Asian American voters, they're just going to say, well, that's just politics, too. And therefore, it shouldn't be struck down as discriminatory.
0: Yeah, well, that's why soon they're going to change the name of Texas to Gilead. Now, um, Ari, I want to ask you this. In the wake of SB 8's passage, you wrote that, and I quote, the GOP is so invested in voter suppression because they want to enact cruel, unpopular policies like abortion bans and permitless carry with no accountability. That's why it's so important for Democrats to use their power to pass federal legislation protecting voting rights. In your article from Mother Jones on the topic, you describe their hold on power in Texas as anti-democratic. Can you unpack for my listeners what's happening in Texas with this fl- uh, fury and flurry of legislation? Um, 666 bills, I believe, um, And how they maintain their supermajority despite the fact that Texas is growing more purple every single year. Well, we've
1: talked about some of these laws already, but just the fact that they passed – The worst uh, anti-choice law in the country, Uh, they passed one of the most extreme gun laws uh, in the country that you don't need to have any license or training uh, to carry a gun, which is just totally uh, insane in a state that has 3,500 or more gun deaths. A year. Uh, They have restricted how uh, education uh, can be taught. I mean, it was just one thing after another uh, in terms of what the state legislature did. And then they added all of this voter suppression on top of it. Uh, And that's really the the thing that they're doing uh, to try to prevent any accountability for their policies. And Texas is already the hardest state to vote in the country. It's a state that has no online registration, unlike 40 other states. It's a state where you can vote with a gun permit, but not a student ID, which is crazy. It's a state that's closed 750 polling places since the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act in 2013. It's a state where last year, if you were under the age of 65, you couldn't cite fear of contracting COVID as a reason to vote by mail which was completely out of step uh, uh, in terms of what states were doing. So all of this was how Texas was hard to vote before they then passed this new voter suppression law, which basically says that partisan poll workers can have free movement uh, inside the polls, that they're going to mandate regular purges of the voting rolls, that they're banning things that were done in Houston to increase voter turnout, things like drive-through voting and extended uh, voting hours. And so they have passed all these unpopular policies, and they've put all of this voter suppression on top of it to try to prevent them from being voted out of office. And that's why I said it's so important that Democrats in Congress – use the power they have to counteract this by passing voting rights legislation that would make this kind of stuff illegal. And what you're seeing is uh, an asymmetry in terms of power. Republicans are using all the power they have to make it harder to vote and to do unpopular things. Democrats aren't using the power they have in Washington to make it easier to vote and pass popular policies. And it's funny, Republicans didn't seem to care that all the stuff they did was done only by one party they didn't care that it was that it wasn't bipartisan they just wanted to do what they're going to do then you have democrats like joe manchin and Kirsten sinema saying well we won't do anything unless it's bipartisan well that means you're just not going to do anything period you're not going to exercise the power that you have so one side is being extremely aggressive about exercising power and the other side is making all these excuses for why they can't exercise the power that they actually have
0: yeah but are you covered this i believe in dealing with Texas, that some of the allegations that Texas was raising as it came to uh, voter rights and so on is that they uncovered, and I mean, you can't make this shit up if you tried, 16 cases, one six cases of false registrations in the state of Texas. Now, that's, of course, compared to the 11 million votes that were cast in Texas. How could they possibly say something as stupid as this with a straight face as to the reason for trying to create all of these new voter suppression laws? Well, I mean, they're just flat
1: out lying. They're doing the same kind of things that Donald Trump is doing about the election. The attorney general down there, uh, Ken Paxton, who himself has faced indictment, he spent 22,000 hours during the 2020 election cycle looking for voter fraud. And as you said, he only found... 16 cases of false registrations out of 11 million votes in 2020. So you can't even do the math. If you try to do that math on your phone or your calculator, it doesn't even work because the percentage is so small of the cases. And they just have manufactured a crisis. And basically, I think what Republicans have learned from Trump but the truth doesn't matter, the facts don't matter, especially when it comes to voting because Donald Trump over and over and over again said things that were just completely untrue about the election, but he said it enough times that people believed it. And the same thing has happened in Texas. If you say the words voter fraud enough times, people believe that it's true, even if there's no evidence of that fraud occurring or if there is evidence, it's so small and minuscule, that it wouldn't affect any kind of races.
0: You know, it's interesting because the guy who really perfected that art was Stalin. And Stalin's position was, the more you say something over and over again, people will begin to believe it. Because one person then believes it. He tells two people, they tell two people, and so on and so on, until ultimately the lie becomes the truth. And that's Donald Trump in a nutshell. And that's exactly what guys like Josh Hawley or, you know, Lauren Boebert or, you know, even Ted Cruz uh, or, I mean, just the whole group of them, you know, Mitch McConnell, they all lie through their teeth. And they have now set up scenarios where their lies get Duplicated and reproduced again and again and again on whether it's OAN, whether it's Fox. It's re- regardless of where. They just keep pushing out this misinformation and the disinformation until ultimately people believe it, that they believe that false um, registrations is what caused Donald Trump to lose the big lie. And there are people that will fight you. I mean, legitimately, fist fight you in the street Claiming that Donald Trump is the rightful president of the United States, that the election was stolen from him. And they are 100 percent certain that the big lie is a big lie in the opposite direction. And that's really scary to me.
1: It is really scary. And the scariest part of it is that over time, more people are believing the lie, uh, not less that now 70 percent of Republicans believe that joe biden wasn't legitimately elected president and that has a completely corrosive effect on democracy it's why so many states are passing new voter suppression laws it's a direct result of the big lie it's why uh, election officials are facing death threats and are resigning it's why you have these crazy audit in arizona that is now going to spread to other states wisconsin pennsylvania Texas might do a similar review uh, like Arizona did. And so it's really affected, infected uh, the entire Republican Party. And, you know, a lot of people thought this was a joke that, you know, when Trump started saying that the election was stolen, that clearly the facts would prevail. Uh, And I don't think that they took into account, as you talked about, all of the uh, outlets and all the people that would amplify this. The fact that there are entire media stations that have amplified this. The fact that so many politicians either went along with it or amplified it. There were people like Mitch McConnell that knew it wasn't true and refused to say so for months because they found it politically useful uh, to keep this alive. And so uh, now you have basically have a situation where – Virtually the entire base of the Republican Party believes things, whether it's on voter suppression or on COVID or on all the the rest that are just demonstrably untrue.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I want to go back to gerrymandering for a second, because in a recent Mother Jones article you wrote, and I quote, in states like Texas and Georgia, A systematic effort to distort the democratic process through voter suppression and gerrymandering greased the way for near total bans on abortion and other extreme right-wing policies. Now, a lot of people hear this term constantly being used, but would you do me the service of explaining to my listeners what exactly is gerrymandering, how does it work, because it's at the crux of everything right now. And I feel like most folks don't really understand what it is or how it's affecting our political system, because my opinion, it's destroying our political system.
1: And yeah, gerrymandering is basically just when you draw political districts to favor one party or one group over another in an unfair way. There's the usual redistricting process. Every 10 years, we redraw Our legislative districts, districts for the state legislature, uh, districts for the U.S. House, districts for local offices, that's a normal kind of thing. But what politicians are trying to do is they're trying to game the system. So you have these crazy-looking maps that create a situation in which one party, and particularly the Republican Party, is completely dominant no matter how people vote or what public opinion is in that state. And you see over and over Republicans – having much bigger majorities in the state legislature, for example, than the number of votes they're getting in other offices. That in states like Michigan, for example, uh, Democrats hold the governor's office. They hold the lieutenant governor's office. They hold the secretary of state's office. They hold both Senate seats. They hold uh, the attorney general's office. But Republicans still control the state legislature because they drew the districts. Is it that the, the Republicans in the state legislature... Are so much more popular than the Democratic governor or the Democratic secretary of state or the Democratic attorney general? No, but it's because they have figured out a way to pick their own voters. And the way it works is that you create a situation. You say, we're going to give Democrats as few seats as possible. We're going to pack them. Basically, in a lot of places, we're going to pack them into the big cities. And so we're going to say, okay, Democrats represent the big cities. We're going to represent the rest of the state, and we're going to make it so that the rural parts of the state, which are shrinking, they have the political power over the urban parts of the state, which are growing. And so not only are you drawing unfair districts, but you're reversing the impact of demographic changes. The last census, which just came out, showed that the white population in this country declined for the first time since 1790, meaning that all the growth in America was from communities of color, Hispanics, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, other minority groups. But when Republicans draw these districts, they're going to give them to white Republicans by and large. And so it's just a, it's a, it's a complete attempt to try to roll back all of the demographic changes that are changing America and should be changing American politics, but aren't being felt politically because they're drawing districts to try to halt and stop the demographic changes that are all already underway.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was talking to you earlier about technology. And, you know, a lot of this is the result of recent census, um, you know, which shows the shifting demographics uh, in each individual state. And it's so easy for them now to pinpoint exactly the movement from where to where, right, whether it's from uh, the rural area to the urban areas, whether it's from urban to rural, depending upon state, whether it's out of the state altogether, right? And that way, now they're working with a smaller amount. And the technology that revolves around this whole gerrymandering process really gives them the ability to do exactly what you just said. And that's to control the outcome of the election on both the state and local level. And I mean, that's just not what our forefathers intended to happen in, you know, setting up these processes.
1: No. And that's the thing is that gerrymandering has gotten much worse over time uh, and it has become much more surgical over time. I mean, I wrote a story once about a state rep in, in Wisconsin, and he drew a district in such a way that his house, his side of the street was in his district. But all of his neighbors across the street who lived in a Democratic area were not in his district. Well, that doesn't make any sense why a street would be cut in half, particularly just a a random neighborhood street, other than you want to try to choose your own voters. So I'm very concerned about this process. uh, And I, I think it's really important to point out that legislation that has been passed by Democrats in the House would ban partisan gerrymandering, would ban the type of gerrymandering that. We've talked about the For the People Act would stop these kind of changes, and it would say that you can't draw districts to favor one party or one interest over another. Um, That is now stalled in the Senate. And what's going to happen is if Democrats in the Senate don't pass voting rights legislation very, very soon, all of these states are going to come back and they're going to pass these gerrymandered districts that are going to be in effect for a decade And Democrats are going to be powerless to stop them. Uh, And you look at Texas, for example. They're coming back September 20th. That's very, very soon to do a whole nother legislative session on redistricting. So the clock is ticking here. Republicans are trying to do this as quickly as possible because they don't want Democrats to do anything to challenge it. And Democrats are taking forever to pass any kind of voting rights legislation. And it's not at all clear that they're going to be able to overcome the filibuster to be able to get anything done. So again, one side is exercising all the power they have to undermine democracy. The other side is not exercising the power they have to protect democracy.
0: Right, but it's actually a greater issue than just that you referenced, you know, for the People's Act. And yes, I agree with you. That's supposed to stop this whole abuse going on with gerrymandering. The problem is how, right? We already talked about Shelby County versus Holder, and we already turned around and stated that all they have to do is lie and say, yeah, I'm not doing it in terms of my desire for voter suppression. We're doing it because, well, the dog ate my, my homework. And so as a result, we want to push one street over to the left, the other over to the right or any other, you know, the the, the town just opened up an ice cream parlor, whatever Whatever bullshit, excuse that they turn around and claim, as long as that there's not an idiot that's going to step up and say, no, 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 fuck that. I went ahead and I put this district line here and this one over here because, um, you know, there are more blacks that live here and whites here. And I want to put the power on the whites. You're not going to get anybody getting standing up and making that statement. So they're going to lie. It's like a little kid going into school who didn't do his homework and say, my dog ate the homework. It's the same bullshit line. They're not going to own up to it. Why? Because that's not that's not in their best interest. So they're going to lie, and then you have no right within which to turn around and to, and to change anything. So I don't really see how the For the People's Act has any chance of survival.
1: Well, the For the People Act would— ban partisan gerrymandering legislatively. So it wouldn't allow them to do the kind of things that they want to do. Now, the the problem is that this issue is going to be litigated in the courts. And the question is, would the Supreme Court strike these kind of requirements down? And th- that's the worry here is that if you tried to ban partisan gerrymandering through the For the People Act, then Essentially, what would happen is you would challenge the maps that were passed as violating federal law, because federal law now says that partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional, and that would trump what the Supreme Court has ruled already. But the problem is the Supreme Court will probably rule on this again. And will they strike down what Congress has done? They already struck down what Congress did when they gutted the Voting Rights Act because the Congress reauthorized the Voting Rights Act in 2006, 98 to zero in the Senate and 390 to 33 in the House. I mean, that's a pretty overwhelming vote. We don't see votes like that on anything uh, nowadays. And still the Supreme Court struck it down. And, And that's why you have some Democrats talking about needing to expand the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court as currently constituted, is incredibly undemocratic. You had the fact that Merrick Garland was blocked by Mitch McConnell eight months before the election, but Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed eight days before the election when 65 million people had already voted. So Republicans threw out all the rules, all the norms, all the processes to shape a Supreme Court. That would gut the Voting Rights Act to shape a Supreme Court that would uphold at least temporarily the Texas abortion law. That would allow them to do basically anything they want to do. And it's going to be very difficult to enforce a ban on partisan gerrymandering or a whole lot of other things without dealing with the way that the court is currently constituted.
0: I think it goes a little bit further again than that, Ari. First of all, one thing that we know is that justice moves very slowly. So even in fact that it was brought before the court, first they have to make a determination, the Supreme Court, whether they want to hear the case or not. And if in fact that they choose to hear it, one thing that Trump taught all Republicans and Democrats who don't seem to follow Trump's playbook, bring it to the courts. Look at how long Trump was successful in stalling the district attorney and others from getting copies of his tax returns. Look how long, almost, what was it, close to two years before you just fight it and fight it. Now, this, of course, is a much bigger issue than Trump's tax returns, right? I mean, this is a much bigger issue. So what's gonna happen then? Well, they're gonna fight it. And then while they're fighting it, they're still gonna get what they want. And then ultimately, they'll challenge it even if they lose. So you're basically talking about potentially a decade of the same repressive voting registration laws, simply because that's how slow the system is going to move. And that's taking advantage and using the court in order to stall it, which is exactly what they want. Because they don't really care about 10 years from now. What do they care about? The next election, the midterms. That's on their mind.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, if you look at the the specifics of the For the People Act, it would try to expedite these gerrymandering cases so the courts would rule on them sooner rather than later. But I'm still concerned about the composition of the courts that are going to rule on them uh, because Donald Trump was not only able to name three justices to the Supreme Court, he was also able to name 230 federal judges all across the judiciary. And these are the judges that are going to uphold voter suppression, that are going to uphold the anti-abortion laws, that are going to uphold the extreme gun laws, all of these things that are going to go before the courts, even if they move at a quick pace. And as you say, they move at a slow pace, they're still going before a judiciary that is dominated by Trump appointees. So the entire system is out of whack from the way that the districts are drawn to the judges that are then hearing the challenges to these districts, the, the entire system right now is is deeply um, out of whack and undemocratic in a lot of different ways, and it's just really really crazy to me that if you look at the three justices to the Supreme Court that Donald Trump appointed, nominated, and then the Senate confirmed, one was appointed after they stole a Supreme Court seat, Neil Gorsuch. The other was appointed after being credibly accused of sexual harassment. And the third was appointed- Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, Brett Kavanaugh. And the third was appointed after they completely disregarded everything they had done to Merrick Garland to confirm Amy Coney Barrett eight days before the election when millions of people had already voted, which had never been done before in US history. So I mean, that is three people confirmed- in very, very questionable circumstances, not to mention confirmed by a president who lost the popular vote by 3 million votes, then lost it again by 7 million votes, never had a popular mandate for anything that he did, but was only able to get in power because of these loopholes in America that create an undemocratic system where you can get fewer votes but actually win election. And now they are relying on those undemocratic aspects of the system to basically give them a get a jail free card for all of these other undemocratic and unpopular things that they want to do.
0: Researchers have determined that email phishing attacks and brute force attacks are the two most popular and successful methods cyber criminals use for ransomware and extortion attacks on corporate networks. These attacks are simple to attempt, difficult to detect, and can come with big rewards for cybercriminals. Ransomware is just one of the many ways cybercriminals can get into your devices and try to take what's yours. The only one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security blocks cybercriminals from stealing your personal information. VPN with bank-grade encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now folks, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock as I do, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to norton.com slash cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at norton.com Cohen. In a recent tweet, You wrote that and I quote, a Supreme Court where five of the six, this is just what we were talking about, a Supreme Court where five of six conservative justices were appointed by GOP presidents who initially lost popular vote and confirmed by senators representing representing minority of Americans are taking away voting rights and reproductive rights from millions of Americans. Now, this is not democracy. In light of this, should Biden move to expand the court? And what would that entail to make it happen? I I do think he should
1: move to expand the court because, as you mentioned, you now have five justices, a majority of justices that were confirmed by presidents who lost the popular vote and confirmed by senators that represent a minority of Americans. So there's no popular support for these justices. And they've been appointed for life with zero accountability. And so I think you either um, expand the court or you look into other options like term limits for the justices. So they serve, for example, 18 years instead of for life. So there'd be some sort of movement on the court. But the idea that you would steal one Supreme Court seat. You would confirm someone that was under a legal cloud to another Supreme Court seat, and then you would violate every single Democratic norm to get a third Supreme Court seat. I mean, there has to be some way to rectify that. And the only way to rectify that is to expand the court or get some kind of new blood off the court on the court. Um, I mean, right now, because Justice Breyer won't retire, Biden has had zero Supreme Court nominees or appointees despite winning the popular vote by 7 million. Trump loses the popular vote by 3 million, gets three justices. That, more than anything, is his legacy right now. Trumpism is going to live on, most notably right now, in the Supreme Court because there's going to be other shifts. A lot of the politicians that are here, they're going to be gone in two years or four years or six years. But the justices, they won't be gone. Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, they're going to be on the Supreme Court for 20, 30 or 40 more years. So this will be the ultimate legacy of what Trump and McConnell wanted to do.
0: Yeah, but I I don't think that that's Trump's legacy, to be honest with you, because we've already seen that they haven't always gone along with him. And by the way, I want to state that emphatically, I also agree with you there should be term limits on all judges, not just Supreme Court. I'm talking about federal court judges as well. There is absolutely no reason that anybody should have a job for life simply because you're appointed. I don't care if it's by the president or you're appointed by some committee. It makes no difference to me. They should have 20-year term limits, or as you said, 18, I would give them, you know, five five races, right? 20 years, and then that's it. Or term limit them out by age. When you have somebody who's 92, 93, 94 years old, it just, you're not up to date. I don't care how much they read. You just, you cannot be. But I think Trump's legacy, by the way, is actually Teaching others that there are no rules, that the Constitution doesn't mean shit, that there are no rules that cannot be wrecked by somebody who wants to fight it. It makes no difference what it is. Roe v. Wade makes no difference whether it's voter registration, whether it's discrimination against a minority group simply because you're trying to keep, I hate to say it, you know, you're trying to keep uh, the white population as the dominant population. Whatever it is that you think that cannot be wrecked, Trump has taught us all that anything can be taken apart. You can say whatever you want, and then you can turn around and push that issue to destroy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's true. I, I would say that if you look at, by and large, the Supreme Court has gone along With what Trump wants. Now, did they go along with the attempt to overturn the election? No, that was too much for them. That was too out of left field uh, to go along with. There has to be some sort of evidence and argument that they're going to buy. But the fact that they essentially have overturned Roe v. Wade through the shadow docket is totally radical and something that nobody thought they would do. Uh, a year or two ago, Uh, the fact that they have weakened uh, to the point of almost extinction things like the Voting Rights Act, uh, the fact that uh, they have consistently uh, upheld these extreme right-wing efforts. That, to me, is a court that has, by and large, gone along with what the Republican Party under Trump wants to do. Now, is it Trump himself? Probably not, because You know this better than I do. Trump himself probably only cares about Trump. But in terms of the Republican Party, true to that, the the Republican Party under Trump, though, the 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 MAGA Republican Party, um, they have gotten almost everything they've wanted from the Supreme Court short of overturning the election, which would have been the most radical and unthinkable thing that the court would have ever done.
0: Well, what about the fact that they permitted his tax returns to be released? So, you know, that was something that was really important to Trump because obviously now he knows that the district attorney has an entire group of um, accountants and think tanks going through, ripping it apart. And that's already what's caused now the indictment of Alan Weisselberg and soon the indictment of Matt Calamari and others in Trump's the indictment of the Trump organization based upon all sorts of monetary fraud. So, you know, his expectation was, hey, look, Ari, I put you on the Supreme Court. You fucking owe me. Yeah. The fact that you allowed them to get a copy of my returns that you didn't vote with me sent him into a tail, a tailspin. He became apoplectic over this whole issue. Right. I mean, he believes that they owe him, that he gave them the job. And it's kind of funny, to be honest with you, that they actually went against him on this because it totally just destroyed him mentally. And the fact that just by giving somebody a job means that they're going to show you loyalty. And that's something that he holds near and dear to his heart, when he's the recipient of the loyalty, not, in fact, if he has to give it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the court, even the justices appointed by him, are uncomfortable with those kind of mafia-like transactions. Um, I appointed you, so therefore you protect my tax returns. I appointed you, so therefore you help me overturn the election. I think that's too much uh, for these, these judges. But I think when it comes to broad policy, they're in step with the kind of things That Trump was talking about. I mean, they upheld the Muslim ban. Uh, They upheld extreme gerrymandering. Uh, They have now overruled Roe v. Wade, at least on a temporary basis. And so I guess I draw a distinction between things that I think are more like policy and things that I think are more about personality. Not that the tax returns wasn't about policy, but it was really about one person at the end of the day. And so I think that, yes, the court has shown some independence from Trump on the fact that they don't want to be perceived as uh, being totally in his pocket because these guys, as I said, are going to be here long after Trump is gone. Uh, But I think in terms of the whatever you would call the Trump McConnell, Ted Cruz, et cetera, et cetera, ideology, the, 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 the MAGA ideology more broadly, they have been largely not entirely, but largely in step with that.
0: So, you know, I'm very critical of the Biden administration in terms of Merrick Garland. And it sort of brings me to my next question to you. Where is the Biden administration in all of this? Right. Because it was no secret that SB8 was coming. Everybody knew that it was coming. Right. Whether it was Merrick Garland, whether it was Biden. And he campaigned that Roe v. Wade will not be overturned. Now, it was passed in May. All of the issues on the table affecting Democratic voters, this one is probably the most important to them, protecting a woman's reproductive rights. But through inaction, he basically let everyone down. Why do you think Biden has not been more aggressive on this issue? Why has Merrick Garland not been more aggressive on this issue? Why has Merrick Garland not opened up investigations that, Every single Democrat and many Republicans want to see happen, which is what really happened on January 6th. Because in all fairness, he keeps trying to play the middle only to get it shoved back into his face. This whole notion by Biden that I want everything to be bipartisan. I want to be the, you know, the exact opposite of what Donald Trump did, meaning he was all about republicans he was all about the trump party and joe biden wants to be this empathetic bipartisan leader that's great in disneyland but we live in fucking reality and the reality is that the republicans will shove the shit in biden's face it's going to screw over the democrats in the midterms and could potentially cost biden in the general election discuss this with me why is he doing this well, I think uh, as we're
1: talking, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Justice Department is going to announce that it's suing Texas um, over its uh, anti-abortion law. So I do think that there is some movement on that front. But in general, the Justice Department has been um, very cautious. Uh, the Biden administration has been very cautious. And I think at, at some point, you have to say that results are more important than the process. And I think that's one thing that Trump understood that Nobody would care at the end of the day how he got people in the Supreme Court or how he got things done as long as he got them done. Uh, and right. whereas Biden and Democrats, they're obsessed with the process of it, that everything has to appear in a certain way and that everything has to appear bipartisan. But if one side is taking hostages all the time, you can't negotiate with them anymore. And if you have a Republican Party that's completely invested In things like voter suppression, it's completely delusional to expect they'll support things like a new Voting Rights Act or like a For the People Act. And so I think that at some point, I think that point is coming very, very soon. Democrats are going to have to understand they need to use the power they have or they won't have power anymore. That more than likely, Republicans are going to take back the House because of gerrymandering alone. Biden is not very popular right now. So who knows how long that's going to last? So you have a you have a short window to get a lot of things done. And if they don't get those things done, they're going to have no chance to do anything about it in the future. And so I think time is really running out here. I think what we've learned from Republicans in Texas, they're going to aggressively use the power they have no matter what it takes. Uh, and I think with Biden, it's very, very slow. It's very cautious. It's very procedural. It's making up all of these reasons why you can't do stuff as opposed to using the mandate you were given, using the power you have to get things done. And, And that's where I would like to see the president and Democrats in Congress be a lot more
0: aggressive than they are right now. Or as Donald would say, dictator Donald, this is what I want to do. I don't care how we get it done. I just want it done. It was the same way at the Trump organization. Don't tell me about process. Just give me the end result. And that end result better be what I want. And that's what he ended up showing the country. Now, you know, last, um, on my last podcast, I had uh, Scott Dorkin on it. And one of the things that we talked about is some pretty serious concerns about this midterm 2022 elections. That if, in fact, the Republicans... Take the House. And I say this again, despite, you know, obviously we have a great fan base, subscriber base here on Mea Culpa. One of the things that I'm really warning everybody who listens to this program to take heed of, if in fact that the Republicans take the House, you know the very next day what they're going to do. They're going to file articles of impeachment against Joe Biden. And they're already establishing the grounds for why they have the right to do that. And what's the right? It has to do with his bungling of Afghanistan. Now, me personally, I don't think that he did, but I'm not the one that's drafting the articles. And if, in fact, that the House goes ahead and they vote on the articles of impeachment to put them through, um, they will end up impeaching Joe Biden. First of all, it's payback to the two-time impeachment of Donald Trump, first of all, and two, There's this crazy theory out there that, of course, being that the Senate is now controlled as well by the Republicans, that they will actually convict him and Joe Biden will be removed. Now, if, in fact, that happens, who who becomes president? Kamala Harris. Right. I mean, that's just the way that it works. They can do the same thing to her. Sure, and but then that's, that's what they're talking be- about doing. Yeah, go ahead. But Ari, one second. What, just in conclusion, one of the concerns that people are saying is that they're going to figure out how to put Trump in as the Speaker of the House, <laughs> which means he's third in line to the succession. Now, I know this sounds like the House of Cards, but I want you to remember— The fucking animal that sat in the White House for four years that basically shit all over our Constitution, manipulated it, you know, twisted it, bent it, made it malleable when it was for, you know, 44 presidents before did not do such a thing. Rest assured that if he gets the right ears and these people do this, this is a whole nother constitutional, you know, shitstorm that's going to hit the American people.
1: Well, I don't doubt that r- Republicans in the House might try to bring articles in, of impeachment against Biden. I think that would be very hard to do when the public supported at the end of the day the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, but you would need 67 votes in the Senate to do that. And there will not be 67 votes in the Senate. I mean, Democrats control the Senate right now. Even if Democrats lost seats in the Senate, Republicans would have, let's say, they would have 52 or 54 seats. They're not going to have anywhere close to 67 votes in the Senate to impeach uh, Biden. So I'm not worried so much about that. What I am worried about. Is if the house is taken by Republicans, I think there's a very, very good chance that in 2024, if there's a contested election, that they will not vote to certify a Democrat as president. I think that's that's the thing that I'm more concerned about because they've already done that. They've already tried to do that, uh, and I think the momentum has just grown in in the in the inside the Republican Party for that kind of thing. And if if somehow you have a Republican Congress, and Biden or another Democrat runs again, and there's questions, it's a close election, there's questions about, the Republicans raise questions about the legitimacy of the election, which you know they will, especially if Trump is running again. It's very possible that a Republican-controlled Congress would just decide not to accept the electors that the states voted for. And that would be incredibly radical. That would prompt an absolute constitutional crisis. That's exactly what Trump wanted them to do in 2020, and they refused to do. And that's really the thing that I'm, more than impeachment, the thing that I'm most concerned about in terms of Republicans taking over one or both houses of
0: Congress. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, I... I won't argue with you. I agree with you. I still do believe that the whole notion of impeaching Biden for Afghanistan, if they get a hold of the House, will certainly make him a lame duck president. The country needs to move forward. We already are coming off of four years of chaos. This will just throw the country back into more chaos. But Ari, like I said to you at the beginning, you know, the hour goes by fast. I have just one last question for you. Now, You tweet a lot about Democrats needing to pass federal voting legislation to protect voters' rights. But how will that bill pass in the Senate with the filibuster, right? This is the same question that I posed about passage of the Women's Health Protection Act, which would codify Roe v. Wade. How does this work and what's the chance that this will actually pass in the Senate? Well, it
1: won't pass because of the filibuster. That's exactly why we have to get rid of the filibuster or reform it. The easiest way uh, to reform it is to say that there are certain fundamental rights that should not be filibustered in the same way that you can confirm members of the court or members of the cabinet with a simple majority with 50 votes. You should be able to protect voting rights with 50 votes. That is the easiest way to do it. Now, will Joe Manchin, will Kirsten Sinema go for that? That is the question. Uh, And I think it's more likely than not that they don't go for it and that nothing passes. But I think that the pressure just has to stay on them to say that, are you going to allow Republicans in states like Texas to do whatever they want when it comes to undermining voting rights, when it comes to uh, allowing the crazy spread of guns, when it comes to undermining a woman's right to choose? Or is there going to be a federal response? And you guys were elected to do something about all of this stuff. And that if you don't use the power you have, you will be in the minority again. And I happen to think that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema like being in the majority more than the minority. I think they would like to stay in the majority as opposed to being in the minority. I think the the ultimate way that they stay in the majority is to exercise the power they have to stop the anti-Democratic Republican Party from having a complete lockdown and foothold in terms of our political system. And I, I think that, Time is running out to the point where I think we have a few weeks to pass this kind of voting rights legislation. If it doesn't pass, it's going to be nearly impossible to stop the voter suppression, to stop the gerrymandering that's going to happen uh, in the coming weeks, in the coming months.
0: I mean, isn't it amazing to you? Because it's amazing to me that we're even having this conversation. I mean, I I find it. Just incredible that we're having conversations about whether a woman's reproductive right should still be in existence, whether or not you should, you know, be permitted to carry, especially in light of all of the various, um, you know, gun violence that this country has seen over the last, you know, ten years plus. It just—I find this whole question of the filibuster just to be so upsetting and it's confusing and it's aggravating. And I just don't understand why others just don't say enough already, right? It basically is designed to stop the party that's in power from effectuating the goals that they campaigned on, that people voted them into power. That's how I see the filibuster.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to me that an arcane Senate rule that nobody cares about is more important than voting rights for millions of Americans or reproductive rights for millions of Americans or protecting millions of Americans from gun violence. I mean, to me it should be a no-brainer. That the point is that you want to protect people's rights and how you get there doesn't really matter. And the idea that you would preserve a arcane procedural rule that basically prevents the majority from governing over The protection of fundamental rights, to me, is exactly what is wrong with Washington, why people hate Washington in the first place, no matter who goes there. And I think it's making Democrats very unhappy with their party. And I think history is not going to judge Democrats kindly. If Republicans did all these extreme things, the Democrats did nothing because they wanted to preserve filibuster over the protection of fundamental rights for millions of Americans.
0: Totally agree. And with that, Ari, I want to thank you for joining me again I'm Mea Culpa. And I wish you all the best and thank you for um, your, your time and thank you for helping to set this craziness on a path that maybe we'll begin to understand a little better after this episode. So thank you for that. Thanks a lot, Michael. Great to talk to you again. The same. Thanks, Ari. And now for today's Mea Culpa. Besides being the 20th anniversary of September 11th, it also happens to be one year since we launched Mea Culpa. We began as an experiment and side project. Something to help promote my book Disloyal has grown into something beyond my wildest dreams thanks to all of you out there who have supported the show since its beginning. After one year and 104 episodes, Mea Culpa has become a movement. Each episode is an attempt to shine light on the hypocrisy of the modern GOP. The long goal remains the same, and that's nothing less than the imprisonment of Donald Trump. While things may have gone quiet, I can assure you that the wheels of justice are working hard behind the scenes. This is a 12-round fight, folks, and the indictments handed down earlier this summer are just the beginning. Alan Weisselberg is due back in court next week, and the Attorney General continues to shake the tree against the Trump Organization as the noose tightens. The question is whether it will be enough. We have learned of late that even without Donald Trump, an energized, radicalized and well-funded MAGA movement has swarmed the levers of state and local government and taken control of state houses nationwide. These are deeply disturbed people who have shown there's nothing they won't do in their pursuit of power. This in turn serves to embolden figures like Kevin McCarthy and Trump himself, who see a base that has infested the very fabric of our democratic system and believe not only that they're right, but that they can win. The modern GOP is a relentless as they are shameless and won't rest in their quest to retake the House and ultimately the presidency. It's a harbinger of dark times ahead. There's nothing these people won't do in their quest for power, and it makes fighting back difficult when your enemy has no grasp or compunction, acts way beyond any acceptable moral framework. So they lie, cheat, and cajole, even threaten, sending shock troops of Proud Boys to school board meetings and rioters to state capitals. All of this lurks at the frame of what is possible. These are things our side will not do. Why? I don't know. But it sure makes it hard. It's like battling Al-Qaeda. How do you fight an enemy who's willing to blow themselves up and take you with them? To me, that's the modern GOP. They are willing to destroy our entire democratic system if it means assuming power. This is the world in which we now live, folks. The fuse has been lit. Let's hope we survive the explosion. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant
1: Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish, featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more. All online for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.